Yeah, we're not very funny today. <laughs> it's the weather. It's the weather. These clouds, y'all, they're getting us. They are. And Tell us a joke, Anthony. Um, I'll share one that was shared with me. What kind of man was Boaz in his early life? A, a young man. No. He was ruthless. Oh my god. <laughs> I've never heard that one before. No. Really? I got there immediately. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> Do you? No, I love it. But man, that's rough. Bible jokes. Hey everyone, welcome to the Mosaic Bible Study Recap Podcast. I'm Antonia Vashu, here with Max Diner. Hello. And we are walking through uh, Matthew 6, 19 through 7, 29. So this is our last week looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And just a quick plug for the forum, you've at this point probably heard us talk about it, but we are so excited to have Dr. Jonathan Pennington and Jenna Wilkin on a Zoom call with us and talking through the Sermon on the Mount and with open Q&A for the Gospel of Matthew. And so that'll be on Sunday, October 24th at 8 p.m. via Zoom. We will make those links available through your small group leaders and also on our general Mosaic communications. Um, but truly we have two, um, uh, Dr. Pennington is a Gospel scholar, world-renowned, um, and Jen Wilkin is an incredible Bible teacher, and so we're just really excited to have them lending their expertise to help us, um, yeah, walk away with even more depth in their sermon amount. So hope to see you there. Um, but we are going to, uh, yeah, keep going. So this past week was another week where another one of us taught. Yes. Um, and so we just, again, are so thankful for our lay leaders um, who step in to serve our body in that way. It is a, one of our favorite things that we get to, um, yeah, get to see and just love. I mean, I've been telling people, like, just teaching through the Sermon on the Mount with a teaching team is generally probably one of, like, the highlights of mm. <laughs> my ministry career. Yeah. Like, it's just incredible to get to partner with those women and, and to see you, you know, the, on the men's side. Um, yeah, just to see how each person added something, uh, not added something, but explored the layers of the Sermon on the Mount, which is a really exciting thing and so very grateful yes. for that. Yeah, because I would say we talk about that as a value for mm-hmm. us in Bible study and the Sermon on the Mount has been a great example of it's a value because we get to hear lots of perspectives we wouldn't otherwise. Mm-hmm. And so I know Kyle has said before, like, even if Antony and I were the best Bible teachers of all time, which we're not, Surprise. although yeah, <laughs> we're trying. We, we are growing all the time, but even if we were, we would still want to hear other voices. Mm-hmm. And so we just want to dignify our yeah. lay teachers. They do an excellent job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was really sweet. And I think also it just builds confidence in the word. Um, That's not just personality or our something that we are doing, but that the spirit of God can unite. And so that was a really incredible thing to see. Okay, let's keep going. So our three questions. The first one, what do we wish we had more time for? Max, you kick us off. Sure, yeah. So this one is contentious, Antonia. Oh. Uh, I'm starting off with a little bit of spiciness. Okay, well... Not really, but... Level one, two, three, four? Yeah, this is like level two. Okay. Yeah, it's not that spicy. (laughs) I wanted to talk about heavenly treasures. Okay. Because I feel like these can be misunderstood. And the reason it's spicy is there is not agreement on this topic. So I just want to fully confess that I am representing a view here. And it is a view with scholarly attestation. Mm. But there are other people on staff that don't have the same view, and that's okay. They have scholarly attestation as well. So saying all this with a big fat caveat of like, right now I'm reading Herman Bavink, and he disagrees with me on this. Bavink is a systematic theologian, Dutch reformer, way smarter than I am, (laughs) and he doesn't agree. But with that being said, uh, when we think about heavenly treasures, I can't imagine 
that Jesus literally is pointing to a heavenly bank account that we have, where it's like, if you take this action, you're earning three crowns, but if you take this action, you're earning four crowns. And I think sometimes people get preoccupied with this idea of a heavenly bank account because they try to compare it directly to an earthly bank account Mm -hmm. and they think, well, like, is it growing interest? Mm -hmm. What am I depositing in right now? I think that the reason Jesus and the reason Matthew are using this analogy of heavenly treasures is he's wanting us to understand we need to focus on what is eternally important Mm -hmm. as opposed to things that are temporal. And so he's trying to impress upon us the good that is coming will outweigh any bad that we have to endure today. Mm-hmm. And I think Matthew 20, which we'll get to next study, next semester of study, it's a parable about this exact thing. You've got a bunch of laborers in the field. Some start right at the crack of dawn. Others show up at the very end, and they all get paid the exact same wage. Mm-hmm. And so I just can't imagine the kingdom of heaven where there's poor people and rich people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems very antithetical to the whole teachings and ethic of the Mm -hmm. kingdom. Uh, So all that to say, even if you do think there's literal crowns you're earning versus it's just a metaphor pointing us there, Jesus's big point is we ought to focus on what's eternal because Mm -hmm. we will face hardships here. It's easy to be discouraged. And there is a coming reward that is worth persevering for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay, well... That was more like a 1.5, so that's okay. take. Yeah, that's um, mild. Yeah, I'll just say I think this is appropriate, so you can, you know, help me work it out. But Second Peter 3.10 mm. talks about that the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the mm-hmm. earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. And so I know there's a lot there, the yep. thing, but just the idea of, yeah, things will be refined, mm-hmm. and there is a time coming where what has taken place in our lives do actually matter yes and so i think either way i've taken it is sure whatever it looks like we're not given much information yeah Um, and even if we were our we're so removed from the context that kind of thing Mm -hmm. but there is a sense of awe yes um that should be in us as we consider okay how is what i'm doing or my life increasingly patterned in a way that when all things are sorted out um, yeah, that I have the right, essentially tell us, right? I have the right end goal that's in yep. my present daily life. That's exactly right. And because another place, this is one of those literally, literally things. Sure. Where like Jesus will, he'll dignify the work that we do in the present day by saying it's going to produce a harvest of righteousness that's a hundredfold greater. Right. Does he literally mean 100-fold greater? Or is he just saying it's like going to be that much more glorious? Sure. That much more spectacular? Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. Okay, what else? Second thing, it sounds like the women hit on this. Way to go, Melanie. But there's a confusing metaphor that Jesus uses where he says the lamp is the eye of the body. Mm-hmm. It is confusing. Yeah. I had a failed Parks and Rec joke in Ooh. my small group on this. Okay. There's a moment from Parks and Rec where Andy says, you know, the eyes are the window to the house. And I, I said that that's what Jesus meant, and no one laughed. No one mm. thought it was funny. Well, it's also early. Yeah, I'm going to attribute it to being 6 yeah. in the morning. But uh, there is a Hebrew idiom going on in the background of this phrase that's not easily translated into English. And the Hebrew is focused on, or this idiom is focused on the idea that we should be singularly devoted to the things of God. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those places I wanted to call it out because we should let the clearer part of Scripture interpret the less clear part of Scripture. So if you're thinking about this, Jesus offers two quick parables One is the eyes to the lamp of the body. The other is you can't serve two masters. Mm -hmm. And the two masters parable is a heck of a lot clearer than the lamp 
is the eye of the body. Mm-hmm. They're both communicating the same thing, though, that mm-hmm. we should be singularly devoted to God. We can't serve both God and money. Yeah. So there's probably a lot more that could be said about that, but I did just want to touch on that metaphor. Yeah, great. Okay. Um, anything else there? I'm trying to, yeah, think through. Totally. The, the only other thing I had was around anxiety. Okay. So when we're thinking about anxiety, I think in a modern context, we tend to think about like a clinical definition or like panic. Mm-hmm. And I do think the Sermon on the Mount addresses those things. Right. Unquestionably, full stop. I also think it's a helpful thing for us to pause and remember the anxiety that these people felt was a lot more physical in nature. They're thinking, how will my next meal come? Mm-hmm. Uh, what will I wear tomorrow? And the one thing that I have been thinking about a lot with this is Hannah, my wife, she has started a square foot garden in our backyard. Mm-hmm. And if we had to feed ourselves, mm. we would have starved many months ago because we just have so little control mm-hmm. over everything that happens. And we're forced into a posture of dependence upon God. And so I do think that I just wanted to point out historical context. Jesus is pointing us to our material anxiety as much as he's pointing us to an internal anxiety. Mm-hmm. And so that's just one of those places where I worry we might totally remove something from its immediate historical context. Absolutely, yeah. That's really helpful. Um, I think the one thing I would add to wish more time for, and um, mm. Melanie did a great job covering uh, Matthew 7, 6, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls, pearls before pigs, lest mm-hmm. they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. But I do think that's something that, especially, um, yeah, just we have all come from very different backgrounds and what evangelism or even yeah. apologetics, which those are, you know, two sides of the same coin. Sure. But what does that look like? And so just... Um, yeah, um, thinking through, okay, it's, you know, not that pearls are valuable, right? But pigs can't digest <laughs> pearls. Sure. And Melly talked about the context and dogs and pigs and all that, so I'm not going to go deeper into that, but let me know if that would be helpful. Um, but just the idea of, like, we want to be mindful and careful um, that we don't just, yeah, that we don't become an obstacle to sharing what is true about the kingdom of heaven, yeah. which we can in different ways. And so I think I just, um, yeah, just have to think through, you know, yeah, a lot of this in terms of applying the Sermon on the Mount does require discernment. Um, and, mm-hmm. and this piece in particular, right? Yep. Like you're not just because you have an unbelieving friend, you know, doesn't mean that they can't handle it all. Sure. So we shouldn't go to one extreme, but also to go, okay, what does that look like to be mindful of where is this person that I do want to commend the gospel to? Yep. Um, am I doing it in a way that is so brash and um, not just like in, in, in tone even, um, but just patience. I yep. think that's a lot of times what I see. And so this is not saying, hey, don't ever, you know, don't ever give the, the gospel, but also, hey, like let's also be mindful mindful even here we have to be careful about how and when how we're doing that so we don't become an obstacle to someone and the patients too like going like hey i might be laying a seed in someone's life it might be years maybe another believer takes it up mm-hmm. and waters that you know and receives the fruit of that and so i just think sometimes we can get really jumpy when it comes to that um sure. even as we need to cultivate an urgency so yes and this is another one of those places where we need to think about jesus's immediate context yeah same theme same language is going to be picked up in matthew 14 when he's talking with a Gentile woman, mm. a Canaanite. And the, without getting too far into that, 
Jesus primarily came to minister to the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, his message is for the Gentiles. That's all over the book of Matthew. He's in Galilee. He's traveling to Gentile areas. Mm -hmm. All of those things. But Jesus predominantly focuses on the Jewish people and then entrusts his followers to be the one who brings his message to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. And I do think we see an immediacy to the ministry of Jesus of, I have a task at hand, Mm -hmm. and he focuses on that task. Mm -hmm. We even see this in interactions with Jesus and John's disciples, Hmm. which we'll get into a little bit next week whenever John's disciples are asking Jesus questions. Mm -hmm. But Jesus sees, I'm here to speak predominantly to the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. Not to say his kingdom is only for the Jewish people. His earthly ministry is targeted primarily towards them. Okay. Yeah. All right. What were we hoping was um, the impact on our community? For sure. So... I think that the hardest part of this passage, the scariest part, is when Jesus says, those to me, or who said to me, Lord, Lord, depart from me, Mm -hmm. you workers of lawlessness, for I never knew you. And I just wanted to remind us, uh, one of the guys in my group, he used the phrase that this can put us in a doom spiral, which Mm. I thought was a helpful descriptor. Uh, Jesus hasn't preached the entire Sermon on on the Mount to get to the end and then, like, cast a seed of doubt on us. Yeah. His goal is not to say, like, hey, you were feeling really good about this whole thing, but now I want you to forever live in fear that maybe you're one of these people at the end, I'm going to say, I never knew you. No, what he's doing is he's trying to contrast throughout the Sermon on the Mount shallow righteousness, which is only concerned with outward appearances, with a true righteousness, which he is defining for us. And if we are earnestly seeking to follow the teachings of Jesus, which are hard, If we are earnestly seeking communion with Jesus, what that means is the relationship that we have with him, it doesn't need to be in doubt for us. Uh, The things that we're seeking, we don't need to worry. At the end of time, is Jesus going to reject me? Uh, We don't need to fear that if we're striving for true righteousness and if we're seeking communion with Jesus. That's good. Um, I think coming just to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, um, yeah, I... um, so Lexi, our family ministry associate, and I attended a conference in, <clears throat> excuse me, a few weeks ago, or virtually, I guess, attended a conference, and it was Awanas, which some of you have a personal connection to, um, but it was just on resilient discipleship in kids, and one thing that was said that has just really stuck with me is this idea that <clears throat> we, as ministry leaders, as those serving the church, as those following Jesus, and specifically wanting to commend the um, gospel to the next generation, whether it's like physical time generation or just hey the next phase and season of the life of the church and just that we have been formed deeply by our culture and so we must be counterformed and that's what i think it's safe to say jesus is doing here he's saying hey you have stepped you have believed Mm -hmm. certain things you have been formed um to participate as a kingdom citizen means being counterformed and the difference there is acknowledging and i think that's part of what he's doing here over and over again is saying here you've heard it said here's what you think is happening i'm here to actually um confront those things and so just the idea of, of taking stock and that we would take stock of what have we believed what have we believed about what is true about what judgment or anxiety or worry or all these things um and what does jesus say here and so how ought we now live in light of that so i think just having a greater awareness of and having a firsthand knowledge of the text of what Jesus is saying. I think that's obviously so much of the confusion is we've heard the sermon in bits and pieces, but to see it all together in context to have a greater confidence to um, then pursue formation, counter formation in um, as a kingdom citizen. So yeah, that's really good. 
And then last but not least, what were you personally affected by? Totally, yeah. So one thing I've been thinking about with the Sermon on the Mount is a lot of this is situated in a historical context that feels very foreign. Mm -hmm. No one is asking me to give up my tunic. Mm -hmm. No one is asking me to go a mile with them. Mm -hmm. And so I just wondered, what does application actually look like for Mm -hmm. this? Because it's a lot of looking at these principles and then applying them in a way that feels different than Jesus's original audience. Yeah. And as I've been thinking about that, one thing that I've been really challenged by is I think that there are things that as I prayed, as my family's prayed, we've developed convictions around. Mm. So like an example of this is we try to, in our family's calendar, keep one night a week open for dinner with people who are not Christians. And we try to make that a commitment. It can become very easy for me to then look around at other people and say, oh, you're not doing this the way I'm doing it. Mm-hmm. So that's wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, I felt personally challenged by that. It's a good thing for us to try and apply the principles of the Sermon on the Mount to yes. our lives today. Yeah. What's not good is if we turn on that and say, I've now established a new standard. Mm-hmm. Everyone should be living it. Yeah. And I see it a lot. It's natural for us in our sinfulness. Uh, But I just see a lot of people who they've come to a conclusion for themselves of this is the way our family should live. Mm -hmm. A really common way I see this is around school choices. Mm -hmm. We feel really convicted this is the way, which means everyone else should be doing it this way too. Mm -hmm. And I just want to, for myself, for our people, I want to just remind us that we need a lot of grace, Mm -hmm. a lot of charity, a lot of humility, and a lot of prayer, because there may be a time where you need to talk to somebody about how they're living. Mm -hmm. Hey, did you know you never have dinners with people who are not Christians? Have you ever thought about that? But at the same time, we shouldn't make the way we've chosen to apply the Sermon on the Mount the standard for all people at all times. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's really good. I think for me, it was just seeing, um, yeah, I mean, I loved seeing this, or not generally just the connections to the story of Israel and um, even just reflecting on the law. What does that mean? What role does it have in the life of the present day believer and, and seeing Jesus as the fulfillment and this sense of deeper, 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 deeper righteousness. Um, I think one thing though that's really stuck out is just, um, I personally, it's not a surprise, I love research, I love thinking about ideas, all sorts of stuff. Um, and so there can be a confidence in the observations that I have drawn. Similar, I think, what you're saying, Max. Like, okay, I've thought about this, and mm-hmm. this is what I think. But just having, um, I see myself and, you know, women of our church, like, we're searching, searching, searching for what grid to think through. And we say, and I say, okay, I have a distinctly Christian grid, but to have this from the mount and say, okay, I want to build my house on the rock. And that means concretely this it's not a feeling um it's not um a best practice from someone who they have spent time with jesus like this is actually us looking at the word looking at what jesus has said and done what he's here to do in context and then really saying no i'm going to ground i'm going to settle my life here this is what it means to be a kingdom citizen then everything else gets to run through this grid um and so i think one thing you know, we talked a lot about um the repentance and the connection between the kingdom of heaven and then everything that falls after that um just this idea that you know jesus has given freedom from our actual enemy and um, it's easy for me to look mm. at others or circumstances or that kind of, or just anything else that's external as my ultimate enemy but say no it's actually 
actually your ultimate enemy is the anger you have in your heart. It's the um, judgment of others. It is the choosing sifting sand to build your house on. It yeah. is on and on and on. Um, and so, yeah, there's just a tremendous beauty in that. And I found myself just really, yeah, in awe of God's kindness and wisdom um, that, uh, yeah, it, and what he has decided to free free me from um as opposed to similarly the jewish people you know who want to be freed from circumstances and he's like no i'm freeing you from your inner darkness and bringing you from your inner suffering um of sin and so anyways just things i think you know of course to remind always something we return to our whole lives um but just really mm. grateful that we got to study it firsthand in context and in community yeah that's great Okay, guys. Well, we love you. We are we have just a few more weeks for the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, part one. And That's so, crazy. Hang, I know, it really is. Hang in there. Come to the forum. Bring your hardest questions um, for them. Um, and yeah, no, really, it's been a joy to walk through the story of Matthew. We'll see you next time. Bye.